Signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, Stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things, all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah. What a great scripture passage, huh? Advent, says Fleming Rutledge, is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> I think that was born in this scripture reading that we, that we got. Luke's gospel agrees with her take. Advent is not for the faint of heart. These are the sorts of readings that like, we don't like to draw. <laughs> We've been reading through this cycle in our morning prayer, um, and it's kind of progressive readings through different things, and it seems like for the past two months we've had all of these like cataclysmic passages from the prophets and the revelation together and everyone always looks at me like please explain this away please ease our nerves right but i'm not sure we get that even though like these these sorts of scriptures have so much baggage surely we don't want like, our neighbor or our friend who we've invited to come to church on a day like today and think that this is the sort of thing that we're always talking about or always thinking when we're together with ourselves, right? 
the sun, the moon, and the stars are falling, and that people will be so freaked out by the heavens shaking and the Son of Man coming on a cloud in great power and glory that they'll be fainting in the streets. What in the world does any of this have to do with the runway leading up to the coming of the sweet baby Jesus, right? Maybe our difficulty in receiving a word for our Advent worship and devotional like this comes because we need to kind of refresh our imagination about what Advent is and how it works. Advent is this special time. Like we've been in ordinary time for like 25 weeks, and now we're in special time. And Advent's filled with all these like participatory things and language. Like we have uh, purple, sometimes in purple cloth and certainly in purple candles, and they signal things like royalty, that Jesus is the coming king. Remember a few months ago when we were talking about uh, Lydia in Philippi and she made purple garments because everyone was kind of bougie and wanted to be like royal in Philippi, right? Like royalty is in purple. But purple is also the color of penance. When we like introspect in a way that we ask the spirit to open us up, to uncover patterns of sin that we we wouldn't have seen on our own, that we, that we screen out, that become the wallpaper. Patterns of sin that we succumb to and participate in and are trapped by. Purple is that color of mourning. Mourning for the suffering and the sin of the world around us. When we join our hearts to the heart of God who feels our suffering and hears our cries, and we join our hearts to those in the thick of it who are suffering now. But there's also pink in Advent. In the third week, the third candle, this joy candle, right when our mood might start to drop, when we get tired, this small, fragile flicker in the overwhelming darkness sparks in each of our hearts. We need something to break this sick cycle that we're caught in, to break these headlines that we're caught in. We can't do it on our own. That's what Advent is about. All of our best laid plans wind up sooner or later making us become part of the sickness and not the cure. And we need that interrupted. Even now, come Lord Jesus. That is the call. That is the refrain. And also during Advent, of course, we get like the nativity narratives, uh, the stories of Jesus being born in a manger, and those are wonderful. But we also get some pretty like particular hymnody in Scripture during Advent. Scripture like what Sarah just read. I wrote a little reflection post a couple years back about the music that I was li- that I was hearing during Advent, and um, I don't often listen to Christian radio, but when I do, uh, I don't want to hear jingle bells during Advent, right? On, on, on a station that is, that is supposed to be tuning us in to Jesus. These Advent hymns, though, don't often suffer this sort of fluff or cuteness. They're hopeful, but they're not often too positive or encouraging, right? Steph, when, 
read that article, and she had an idea for, like, lament Christian radio, or, like, lament Pandora, always mournful and downcasting is, is like, the tagline. These Advent hymns, though, are, like, you wind up with songs like, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, and behold, the bridegroom cometh, Christ whose glory fills the skies, and O come, Emmanuel, come thou long-expected Jesus. All these manner of songs about Christ coming. All these songs are just as likely or more likely configured around Jesus' return, his second coming, than his first. And our scripture passage today deals with just that event. Jesus, in Luke's gospel, has his face set towards Jerusalem, and he tells of these last times. His language is like freaky and opaque, right? The sun and moon and the stars are telling tale of the end of something and the start of something completely new. It's like Jesus is kind of like grabbing onto the biggest and well-known fixtures in their life and ours and shaking them up and shaking us up to our foundations. Imagine a world without the sun and moon and stars. I'm reminded of uh, Flannery O'Connor, Catholic writer, and she... Uh, has a description of why she always writes these crazy, crazy short stories that are violent and strange and shocking. She talks about, that as a writer, you might well be forced to take ever more violent means to get your vision across to a hostile audience. When you, assume that you're, when you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs as you do, you can relax a little and use more normal ways of talking to it. When you have to assume that it does not, you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the heart of hearing, you shout. To the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. So here's Jesus, like John the Baptist before him, like Flannery much later, shouting and drawing large and startling figures. The kingdom of God is near. But when? But how? But where? All these questions seem downright apocalyptic. The kingdom of God is near. You, you picture that like pit preacher with a sign and yelling. You might be sitting here thinking that this Advent stuff was like all just a trap to get you guys in here and talk about doomsday, right? So before that, though, I think a, this is worth a few notes on apocalypse, right? When most of us think about this word, we have like the first definition in the dictionary with the little one next to it, and it's like the Michael Stipe def definition, the REM definition, the end of the world as we know it, brackets, and I feel fine, right? <laughs> Come up to me later if you can sing that song by heart. I'd love to hear it. It's amazing. This is not necessarily wrong, but it is so woefully incomplete. It's like putting the cart way before the four horsemen, right? Like our book of Revelation, which we get much of this end times imagery, is just simply known as the apocalypse of John. The apocalypse, Revelation. That word in Greek doesn't necessarily connote like the end of the world. It's kind of more value neutral. It just means revelation, unveiling, like uncovering. So John writes in this mode of apocalyptic like Jesus is talking in Luke. 
because it's been revealed to him what's really going on and how it really will be, despite all the apparent evidence to the contrary. John's just over there on the island of Patmos, shouting and drawing large, startling figures as well, like kaleidoscopic figures. You see, Christmas is, after all, like this culmination, this manifestation that God has drawn near to us in Christ. This is why we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Like John 1, 14, the message says we, that we rejoice that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, became our neighbor. God became our neighbor in Jesus. But before we get that, we got to struggle with what that nearness is and looks like in a world such as ours. So that's what apocalyptic does. It, 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 it helps us come to grips with this world that still looks and feels so far apart from God, even as we confess and proclaim that God is in our midst. Where God, this world where God feels so distant, but something is also happening. You felt this. I, I felt this. Something is happening. Something is afoot. Someone must break in and interject. Someone must, like the scene on The Wizard of Oz, like pull back the curtain and unveil what's really happening and who's really in charge. Whenever you have the urge or de desire like this, apocalypse is what you're hoping for. You didn't know that, right? You've been hoping for apocalypse this whole time. The rest of the sermon basically has kind of two parts, so stay with me. I think you'll start to see why this matters and is important and what it has to do with Christmas. The first part is apocalypse now, right? I've made that up. <laughs> Our scripture says, now, when these things begin to take place, this is Jesus talking, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near. Jesus then launches into like this quick kind of parable sketch about a seasonal cycle of the life of a fig tree out of winter and towards spring and summer. The time is about to happen. Summer is already near. The kingdom of God is near. There's a definite time component happening here. Jesus' parable struggles to communicate just how urgent and present all of this is. Something breaks in his telling. Something breaks in. Like shatters the closed universe around him. I think a little bit of what's happening here is like a new mapping of a different time on top of our usual time. We're used to living in a world of like chronos, like chronological, like linear, a, 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 a kind of incremental time that moves in seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades and so on. Like this time has a certain quantity and we can count on it. We're teaching Noah about time right now and she always just has the worst watches that always lose time. So it, it's really hard to do that. But uh, feasibly we can teach her when she is allowed to wake up, what time she can expect something to happen. And, and what to look forward to. That's chronos time, chronology. 
But then there's this different sort of time that Jesus is talking about, this kairos time, this, this time that's elastic and explosive. It's hard to pin down. It's, it's instead of quantitative, it's kind of qualitative. This is quality time. If, you're lo- if your love language is quality time, the, you're like a kairos sort of person. Right now is the right time. That's what Kairos says. Like, it also kind of assumes that time isn't like a, a flat, stretched-out sheet, but it kind of has waves and wrinkles in it. So that almost like like the carpet in the entryway has this like massive wave in it, and and so like if you're on that wave in this Kairos time, you can be closer to something that has already happened, even though you're way further down the road. This is why in Advent we we draw close to the birth of Jesus, and we're closer to Jesus' birth right now than we were last week, even though we're a week later in real time, in Kronos time. Kairos time is weird. I told you, it's strange, but this is quality time. This is also how we can be closer to Jesus' death and resurrection every time we gather around this table. That's kind of how memory works. It says, when you take this this body that's broken and this blood poured out for you and you remember you remember me and my death until I come again. We, we, we kind of are pulled forward to something that hasn't happened yet but and, and something that hasn't arrived in full. And it kind of like breaks in and kind of temporarily breaks the chronologic, right? The logic of chronos. Mad- Madeline Lingle talks about this. She, she says uh, that Kairos is, is actually real time, God's time. It's that time that breaks in through Kronos with a shock of joy, that time when we don't recognize while we are experiencing it, but only afterwards, because Kairos has nothing to do with chronological time. In Kairos, we are completely unselfconscious and yet paradoxically far more real than we can ever be than when we are constantly checking our watches or you might add smartphones for chronological time. The saint in contemplation lost to self in the middle of God is in Kairos. The artist at work is in Kairos. The child at play totally thrown outside of herself in the game, be it building a sandcastle or making a daisy chain, is in Kairos. In Kairos, we become, this is so good, what we are called to be as human beings, co-creators with God, touching on the wonder of creation. Kairos time, this rich, deep, special time. In this way, John the Baptist and Jesus, the the prophets before them, announce in Kairos time that the kingdom is near, now. Maybe even more near during Advent than ever. And that's precisely where the church finds our start. That's why the start of our year is Advent. At the end, we begin at the end, and we kind of work backwards from Christ's full presence and full justice and full peace and full mercy into our now. I think this emboldens us. It gives us confidence that we're mightily pulled into this future eternal life now, to live into our calling now, to be with God now, because God is with us 
now. This also empowers us, gives us grace to encounter God in Christ by the Spirit deeply and richly in the most chronologically busy seasons of our lives. I think it's so like awesome and ironic that this time of year is is both this like deep, rich time when we're supposed to draw near to God and also like the most calendrically crazy time of the year with more pulling at our attention and time and pocketbooks and and energy than any other time of the year. But Kronos says, I can break into Kronos and I can make this rich. I can abide here with you. I can chirologically break into our busyness, our, leth- our lethargy, our routine. Jesus even calls this out in his little story. He, he calls out these common enemies of watchfulness, the numbness of pleasure, self-medication, everyday stressors. And he says, no, your job, your job's just to show up. Your job is to stay awake and to make room because the kingdom is broken in. The other part left is apocalypse here. So we did apocalypse now, and now apocalypse here. All of this in-breaking time is also predicated on in-breaking space and place. The expectation that God is going to show up here and now in our real lives, in recognizable places and faces, not like in some obscure heavenly vision, but like right here and right now. That section about the signs of the sun and moon and stars seems really scary to us. And indeed, I think it's really led to some pretty gross misconfigurations of who God is and kind of allows us, gives us warrant to misuse God's good creation. It's, it's led to our treating our earthly home as kind of disposable and our bodies as despisable. In some cases, we try to, like, accelerate God's coming by treating it really bad. Like, this is like kids who, like, scuff up their shoes so they can get their next pair of shoes, right? Uh, that's not showing any gratitude nor any real grasp of the gift that you've been given. This logic seems immature at best and I think for us, like, demonic at worst, that we're to enjoy the mistreatment of God's good creation so we can rush towards new creation. It's crazy. We do it all the time. This outlook makes talk of the shaking of the earth's foundations and fixtures seem pretty, like, either threatening or insensitive unless, unless you need the earth shaken because you're at the bottom of the pecking order, right? That's when... The, we, we read that passage and we're threatened when, when we think the sky is going to fall. The sky is falling is good news if the sky is not working for you, right? right? If you need a flip. That's, that's why this feels to me more of talk of renovation. We're in talks with some people to renovate part of our house. And it's one thing when you talk purely proactively with a designer or an architect and they're talking about like the pretty fixtures and things. But man, when you start talking to the contractor who's actually gonna do the demolition, like it's much more graphic. It's like, oh, we'll tear that wall out, we'll rip this stuff up, and then we'll make something anew. 
you don't have the luxury of of like beautiful speak. It's all it's all pretty like brutal, right? I think that's what's happening here. I think the sun and moon and stars failing is kind of talk of renovation. What if Jesus is talking about like demo day, right? To make room for the renewal of this place in our midst. What if I think this probably requires more imagination than we currently have. That's why it's so threatening, and I I think that's okay. If we could perfectly map out how all this was going to go, like that would put us in a pretty like high vantage point. I don't think we have that. I think instead it will involve us trusting God, working with God, showing up, learning, and hungering and thirsting for something that's not already all the way here, but is kind of here already. God is renewing this place around us. That process and that result is going to make us uncomfortable, and it might not look or feel how we expect. There might be birth pangs. Scripture talks about these birth pangs and growing pains. Do you remember when you were a kid and your body was growing a little too fast for itself and your knees hurt? There's a lot of tearing down before there's a lot of building up here. There's a whole lot of dust in the meanwhile. That's what Jesus is talking about. When the kingdom is near, there's all these things happening, and it's confusing, and it's unsettling, and God is doing both demolition and renewal. God is renewing creation. In fact, in Jesus' long-awaited birth, God has already reconfigured creation forever. Do we believe this? Like, when Jesus was born, creation has been reconfigured forever. Something broke, or like someone broke in. Eastern uh, Christians are really are really great at, at kind of emphasizing this, that, that Jesus broke in and took on our nature so that then we can somehow be joined with him and, and relate to and, and be a part of God's nature. The creator inhabited creation. So now like the middle part of that Venn diagram is growing. It's growing in kind of fits and starts, but it's growing. This is what we pray for when we say the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven happened. Personally, in Jesus, here. And so few saw it coming. Fewer recognized it happening. When we read those nativity stories, we see all of these people who are in on this are like the strangest characters. They're foreign kings, they're shepherd boys, blue-collar people. Playing a part, being a part of what God is doing. This renovation looks nothing like most of our best plans that we thought we were hoping for. As Jesus was born in hay to an unwed refugee teenage virgin mother. Isn't that crazy? That's what's happening, right? All of our hopes for a conquering king were dismantled. Like ripped out to the studs. And it's right there in the midst of that end of the world as we know it. That there's actually like the start of the world as we never knew it. That's what's happening when Jesus is born. 
It's an end of a world, but it's also the start of the world. It's the start of a new world. An exciting new world in the midst of the old, breaking in on the present, challenging us and including us and renewing us and drafting us into this renovation project. It's calling most of us who have been like the line leader for our whole lives to get into the back of the line. Because the last shall now be first. There's been a reordering of things. This is what Mary knew that Magnificat song that Mary is singing. Mary knew that all of this, when, when the angel came knocking at the door, meant that barren wombs would be filled. That's how God normally works throughout the Old Testament, and especially in Mary's life. The young would be given honor. The proud would be scattered. The mighty pulled down from their thrones. The humble lifted up. The hungry filled with good things. And the rich sent away empty. Valleys will be built up and mountains will be leveled and there's a new skyline in this place. Apocalypse here. So here's a little homework, like an Advent apocalypse here exercise for this week. Go somewhere, and this could be a place that you frequent or maybe someplace a little new, and like stay awake. Uh, for, for, for some of us, especially parents and students at this time of year, just staying awake is enough homework. But like, stay awake, look around, start to imagine what is unimaginable. Like, changes to this place. What would it look like for God to show up and work in these places from where you're sitting? Like, what would it look like for God to show up and work in your home in ways that you that, that you maybe have given up on? What would it look like to, like, for God to show up, like, in some of your habits that, that you've just, maybe even some things that you've embraced that you don't, you didn't do by choice, that you've just, like, it's in the water for you? What, what would have to be torn down from where you're sitting, like, on your campus? What, like, from where you sit at, the coffee shop or like the bus stop, how m might God break in? What would that look like? Like what kind of sun, stars, and moon might be shaken and actually fall down? Like start to really work in your imagination here. How might God break in? Watch the news with this lens. Like what does apocalypse, God breaking in, look like at City Hall or the White House? What does it look like on Wall Street or at, like, American Underground? What does it look like, like, in San Diego on one side and then in Tijuana on the other side of a border? Like, keep filling in the blank and keep your imagination working here. Please, like, stay humbled <laughs> by the fact that you and I only see, like, through a really dark lens, a dark mirror. We can't possibly anticipate the ways that God, like all the ways that God is working and will work, but stay awake. You'll see more than you think you can see if you're awake. Stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for surprising us and breaking in on us. Wake us up, open us up by your spirit.
transform us, renew our minds, take us out of the patterns of this world that we don't even know that we're running in, these tapes that are running in the background. Open us up so that we can see you working here and now. Uh, give us um, kind of a, a holy impatience uh, as, we, as we hope for you to come. Uh, even if it means shaking everything we, we know or we think we are at our very foundations. If we find our feet set on you, our rock and our redeemer will be all right. Lord, thanks for this word. Thanks for uh, this wildness of this word and continue to, to catch us up to what you're doing. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.